Hey, welcome to the podcast today. I'm Steve Hill with Stuff with Steve, and right across my desk is the amazing Josh Dobler. And hey. Hey. How you doing? Good. I'm doing. How you I'm, doing? I'm drinking coffee. Slurping the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we can see who takes the instructions well around here. And uh, behind the cameras, Mason, I got John Green running a production yeah. sound today. John's the one who told me not to slurp coffee. I know. He he, yeah, don't slurp. I have opposition defiance disorder. That's what we I know. Call it. That's been very obvious. It's your spiritual gift. I think it is. Yes. Hey, today I thought we'd talk about something that is a little tricky to talk about mm-hmm. and can touch home with people, uh, depending on your background, your situation. But I thought we'd talk about the subject of fallen Christian leaders, mm-hmm. because in the last year we've seen, uh, I guess you, I don't want to say this term flippantly, but celebrity pastors or well-known Christian leaders who have had a moral failure of some kind. It could be a sexual misconduct or something else. And that gets in the news, but then sometimes it happens at the local level, like in a, in a small local church or large church or whatever. And I thought that was a good topic to talk about. How do we think about these things and what do, what do we do when that happens? I think, Josh, my first recollection of this kind of public thing is Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart some 30 years ago, and then since that time it seems like it's pretty prominent in circles. Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely illustrations of it all throughout. Um, the most recent one that I remember is you know Bill Hybels or um, mm-hmm. even Ravi Zachariah, you know, those, those big names that a lot of us respected and looked up to and were used as kind of like this is the standard and then you realize that you you shouldn't make those people your standards right it's right. kind of that's kind of the way i think of it now but yeah it can be a shocking thing hey when you hear that like with a somebody that you kind of maybe read their books maybe you even admired them a little bit or they were helpful to you and this happens what what goes through your mind uh, i think it's a process actually i think it's like oh man, I can't believe they did that. And wow, they're terrible. I can't believe they did that. Mm -hmm. And then it's, I'm glad I didn't do that. And then it's, uh, you know, again, kind of that process of, well, I'm no better than them. And I hope they, I hope they make this right in some way. I think sometimes it can be so big that it's really difficult for them to make it right. You know, um, with the case with Bill Hybels, it seemed like it had been covered up for a long, long time. And so that really complicates it. It's not like, oh, this happened one time and we're going to move on from there. Um, So I guess it kind of depends on the situation, but it always kind of breaks your heart. You, You hate hearing about that because it gives a lot of unbelievers and people watching the excuse that they wanted to say, See, your faith really doesn't mean anything. What you you don't practice what you preach. Yeah, it seems like that's always ammunition for somebody who yeah. is not a believer to point out our hypocrisy. Sure, with those things, right? And I don't know if this is the right way to look at it, but when somebody of that stature has a moral failure, then it makes all of us who are involved in Christian leadership, you and me and others, just makes us look bad. Sure, or well. kind of makes us suspect. Like, is my yeah. leader doing that? You yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. 
So over, so you've served in three churches as a pastor, and I'm assuming that you've seen some difficult situations yeah. with a uh, with a leader who has made mistakes and fallen, or maybe sure. even been removed from leadership. Yeah, as well. Am I correct with that? Yeah, um, and yeah, someone I knew someone very close to me who. Um, was found to be very deeply immersed in pornography and even so much as using that inside of the church during office hours and that kind of stuff and was found out and was called before the church and, and disciplined in a very public manner. Um, and uh, how that affected their family and everyone around them really uh, hit me pretty close to home too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's again, it's that process of kind of shock. And then you're like, um, you, you get angry. It's all, it's almost like you grieve what you, of this, this picture that you had of them in your mind, mm-hmm. um, that they were good and they were perfect. And, uh, I think a lot of times in ministry, we, we're afraid to do anything, but give that persona that we are above reproach in everything, uh, in every area all the time. Uh, I know that my first, the first pastor I walked under, that was how people viewed him. Even so much to the fact that people thought it's fake, you know, Mm -hmm. and even though there was no moral failures or anything, it was still, it was still that idea that he never messes up and that doesn't seem real to people. Right. You know, I, I, I love how transparent you are with people, even to the point of where it, sometimes people are like, whoa, I didn't think Steve would ever do something like that, you know, you know, like your, yeah. like your story of uh, that my, you shared a couple of weeks ago. When my wife called me a fat head yes, and I got frustrated yes, called her a I fat just, woman. Yeah, like, that. I mean, that's, now you can laugh about it, but that, that was not a good day for you, no. you know, but, but the fact is that people can see that you're just you're just a man as well you're not this perfect person and i think that's important that our church and the people that no matter what church you go to that you understand that about the leaders that are in your church they're still human beings i think you know i was thinking as you were talking that there are probably a couple of the areas that would cause a church church board to remove a pastor or church leader. And you said one on pornography, I think adultery sure. would be in that category and stealing money. Sure. And I was trying to think if there, there's anything else quickly come to your mind about, I, I have one more area, but I was thinking pride. I think some people get, can get full of themselves sure, absolutely. and just be belligerent to people. But I don't see people being removed for that. It's kind of like people just kind of put up with it. Right. Well, and yeah, I, I can't think of anything immediately that comes to mind of any, any other areas, but um, yeah, I, I think those are kind of the primary ones that most people would say that that's, that's probably what a, a person would be removed from for almost immediately, you know? Yeah. So before we started the podcast, I began to think how many times have I actually seen this happen? And unfortunately a few times up close and personal where somebody had to be removed from leadership because of, um, of a moral failure. Mm -hmm. And um, I have had it be uh, embezzlement, unfortunately stealing money. I've seen it for uh, the pornography and for the adultery. And I'm trying to think, 
when it comes to others who are maybe celebrity, I've seen the whole, uh, you know, they were prideful and arrogant. And I'll just say a name here, and I don't mean to put people down, but Mark Driscoll sure. and Mars Hill, there was a lot of that, just controlling and being uh, uh, manipulative of people, I think, sure. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there are two areas. I'm curious what you think that – if you tell somebody they can't be a leader anymore at this time, we can talk about how long in a minute. But uh, some people go, oh, uh, they should uh, they should take one day off and be back at their leadership position. And others think they should be banned for life and sent out to the parking lot and sit in, in a chair. Yeah. So they're kind of two extremes with that. Like some people say you're way too compassionate and then others say you're not being hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your thoughts on that stuff? Well, in the, in the instance of the, the person that was closer to me that I knew of that went through that, um, was removed, uh, immediately from ministry was disciplined very publicly in front of the church. Um, you know, apologized and, uh, was repentant, um, which I think is is very important. They weren't belligerent or accusatory or defensive in um, their approach to being confronted with their sin, which is huge. But they were still removed. They were asked to go to counseling. Uh, mm-hmm. They even took on a secular job and completely removed themselves from any type of leadership and ministry. But over a couple, two or three years, um, still felt God's leading to be involved in ministry, and is now um, he's now restored and he's part of a he, he launched a church hmm. and is is pastoring that church today, and so I don't know the answer. There's not a certain length of time that you know this takes care of it. It obviously goes with how they are how they respond to it and if they're repentant i think that's huge obviously sure absolutely (laughs) so if there's no confession like yeah i did that yeah it's hard to work with somebody correct and there's also i think the false confession Hmm. i got caught and uh, i did that but you know it's kind of like your kid sneaking an ice cream bar sure i'm sorry i got caught i'm sorry i disobeyed mom and dad yeah yeah, so it's hard to know if they're sincere. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Hard to, difficult to know for sure if sure. those things are sincere. Right, you can't see into their heart, but I do think their actions, their uh, their mode of being open to whatever the suggestions might be from other leadership in the church or the elder board at that time, um, the way that they uh, approach suggestions on how to proceed. Uh, again, just kind of gives a glimpse into their the window of their heart. Mm-hmm. If they're like, you know, well, that that might be helpful, but I don't really think I need that. Whereas I think most most people, when they reach the bottom, are like, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. Sure. You know, and they're very open to any type of suggestion. And even when it hurts, uh, like you, you can't be involved in any ministries, period, and um, that kind of thing. So... You know, as we were sitting here, all of a sudden I'm starting to re- think of stories of people I knew, and this has happened. Like, sure. and I really don't want to get into war stories. I don't think no. that's particularly helpful. But I even remembered uh, a pastoral friend who, you know, got into drinking. All of a sudden, he's drinking way too much. Mm. 
stopping home at Dairy Mart, I'm making that up, you know, stopping somewhere and then uh, drinking on the way home. Mm. You know, those kinds of things can can lead to that too. So, Josh, I was thinking in my own mind about a couple things. One was that to Matthew 18 says somebody sins against you go and tell the church. Yeah. That phrase. And I think that gets overused a little bit and people might be a little too quick to tell everybody all the details. Mm-hmm. And I think there has to be a point where the rest of the church family trusts the leadership. Yeah. Hey, I don't need to know all the gory details. Something right. happened and uh, I, it saves the other folks a lot of embarrassment that helps them heal faster. Sure. So, do you have a thought about that? I, I, I agree. I do think that sometimes the there are way too many details shared. Um, I do. I, I honestly. So, in this particular, I keep going back to this one because again, it was pretty um, personal friend of very yours. Personal friend. Him. Yeah. So, um, but. There was a lot of embarrassment uh, with his wife, um, mm-hmm. and and even though they're still together and they have a beautiful marriage, uh, even today it's very painful to bring that up and uh, weighs heavy, weighs heavy on her. Um, but it also, I also saw a different side of that too when those mm-hmm. details were shared. Even though it again doesn't need to be super in detail, that. Um, there were people who, in that in that congregation, stood up and said, "I struggle with that too," and it, I, for better or worse, it was a coming to Jesus moment for some members of that church. Sure, like, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only one that struggles with this. Yes, you are up front. You are part of the leadership. You are um, held to a higher standard, but you're not the only one that struggles with that. So there was some of that as well. It's interesting to me. A few years ago, I read a a commentary in this Matthew 18 passage and this word for church, which commonly, ecclesia, a lot of Christians know that word. In that particular context, at that moment in history, usually meant the leaders of the group. So it's almost like Jesus saying, you need to tell the leaders of the group, not just Everybody who sure. is in the crowd. Yeah. And that made sense to me as I read that passage over and over again. So I think it's helpful to at least ponder. Sure. I don't know if that's right or not, but I, I kind of leaned that way after saying that passage. And the other thing is it's a case-by-case basis. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, and you just can't have a cookie-cutter solution to these misconduct issues. Yeah. I would also think that it helps the congregation by not sharing all of the details. Uh who doesn't love talking about some of those things? And uh, honestly, it can it can lead to <laughs> members in the congregation using those stories or or talking down uh, a person's family or getting into the weeds where they don't need to be. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I feel like it's it also by keeping some of those details close to home, you kind of keep some of those uh, gossipers at bay. Yeah. And uh, help protect your congregation in that way as well. One of the passages I thought about, Josh, was Galatians 6. I know you know that verse about, hey, the one who has um, fallen, can't think of the exact wording right now, uh, restore that person, restore them back. Yeah. And so that the devil doesn't further entrap them. But anyway, uh, what does the 
what do you think of or what do you think would be a process or some thoughts about restoring people? What are some of your thoughts about that? I think about Jesus's disciples and I think about the story where Jesus comes and he finds uh, these fishermen mm-hmm. that he's going to call to follow him and they're mending their nets. And I I associate the verse in Galatians. I remember this as I studied in, in Bible college. This is one thing that really stuck out to me, just that idea of restoring a brother or a sister to usefulness. And that's what the fishermen would do. They would mm-hmm. take their nets and they would mend those holes that the fish made so that they could use the net again. Not so that they could just chuck it into the boat and leave it there. Because it w- just because it got a hole, it wasn't useless anymore. It just needed to be mended and restored to usefulness. And I really feel like that is the ultimate goal, mm-hmm. is restoration to usefulness, especially when it comes to ministry and your walk with the Lord. And that applies to anything, but it's, especially in this case, I think that should be the ultimate goal, is to restore someone who's fallen to usefulness in the kingdom of God. You know, I really like that, the way you phrase that. And I hadn't thought about that, restoring them to usefulness. It doesn't mean necessarily, if I'm getting you right, mm-hmm. restoring somebody to their pastoral role sure. or to their what they were doing before, right. because that may or may not be the goal, but sure. restoring to usefulness. Yes. And it, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will be in leadership, but just because we messed up and we've all... That's that's every single one of us, mm-hmm. right? So if we get cast out because we mess up big time, then we're all useless. But that's the idea. Um, it's just they have still they still have something to do in the kingdom of God. Yeah. So let's say that uh, here's an, an, an analogy. So if my bookkeeper is stealing money from me. In this case, it's Mary. She is my bookkeeper. <laughs> she is a bookkeeper. But anyway, your bookkeeper stealing money from you, and uh, uh, you find that out. They confess it, repent, but those things that you like to see. Yeah. And restoring usefulness might mean they'll never be my bookkeeper again. <laughs> right. Okay. But they might have a different position in the organization. Absolutely. You yeah. know, or a different role. A different role. Yeah. Yes. And and maybe not even necessarily a leadership role, but just just understanding that they're it doesn't mean that they're out for good. Mm-hmm. Right. They're it's their their job has changed. Their job uh, their role in the body of Christ has changed. Yeah, because I don't want to tempt the person who handles money Absolutely. to steal money again, sure. right? And, and just like an alcoholic, even when they get sober, they don't want to go and get a job as a bartender. That's not wise. Yeah, that's a good one too. So, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So you wanna you wanna do a good job of being wise when you restore them in a way that will help them to succeed in the future and as they move forward. Yeah. The other thought I have is, and I'm curious how this might play out. First uh, Timothy three talks about an elder or church leader should be above reproach, and also has that phrase have a good reputation with outsiders. Yeah. So if there's some type of misconduct issue that is so severe that you'll never have a good reputation with mm-hmm. outsiders, or you know, be something that somebody will always point to, whether that's uh, you know, that's good or bad. I'm just saying people will just do that because they're human sure. beings. Then it makes it really difficult to restore somebody to a leadership position at that point. I agree. I do. I, I think there's two sides of that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I was I was talking to somebody about this recently about that particular thing and just how in the case of this personal friend that I know that ministry in the church that this took place in uh, I think of that verse in Proverbs that says um, uh, sh- uh, shame and reproach shall he get and it shall not be wiped away mm-hmm. right so it's basically like a mark you know um almost like a a red a if you will right, right. <laughs> okay, okay yeah, so sure. you think yeah, about yeah. that imagery from the book but yeah. um the people there and that that's no matter what else he's done that's the thing that they're going to think of so mm-hmm. his influence and his ability to lead those people is very much diminished um, because of that particular thing not that it's nil it's just very much diminished and hard to restore to a place of leadership in that church, um, but this new church that he leads, it's 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 a they see it from a different perspective because they weren't there when it happened. Yeah, they see it from uh, his repentant side, right? They weren't there when it took place, but they see they know something happened. They know his story, and they know what took place, but that God had t- taken him um, from there to where he is today. Uh, if we weren't able to restore people who had done terrible things to ministry, the apostle Paul would have never been in ministry. Right. Um, so there is hope. There is a possibility for that, but it's a case, like you said before, it's a case by case basis. And it really depends on how they respond to the Lord Mm -hmm. and to his word and to the people that he's placed in there. I like the things you said, because that whole useful thing, like, like there may be a lot of betrayal and hurt at the church family where this misconduct sure. occurred, right? And it may be a lot of deep fallout from that. Yeah. But after a, a process of some kind of plan for restora- restoration, the usefulness may be at a different church. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Right. I mean, I don't because, have much more comment on that. Yeah, but but yeah. It, because it seems to me that. You know, in a certain context, if it happens in a local church family and people feel so, uh, you know, there's so much betrayal and hurt that and person has gone through some restoration, but that may need to occur in a different church family. Sure. And I, I, I think it depends on what it was as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's uh, <laughs> you can't rate sin to uh, sin is sin to God, mm-hmm. but I think we've used different things in different categories. And, you know, if it was in, if it had to do with finances and taking money from the church, then that might not be a place where you put them back into leadership uh, and tempt them with that idea of they're running the finances. Again, just that using wisdom to say, is this person fit for that role based on prior actions mm-hmm. and where they're at in their journey of repentance and one thing that people might not it might surprise them that I have relationships with other senior pastors so once in a while I'll get a call or I'll call one of my senior pastor friends say you know I have somebody that man uh, for them to be in our church is not practical right now mm-hmm. would you please help me with them and absorb them into your church family yeah. where they don't have all that baggage. Sure. And that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that we don't, um, as you said, we're always looking to restore to usefulness, but it may not be here, but we also provide for it other places. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, I think that's a positive. That's a great reason that 
we want to partner with other churches to do ministry together and rub shoulders with other ministry leaders um, because that's that makes that possible mm-hmm. if we kind of silo ourselves and that so that's just kind of an aside but if that's a great reason to to reach out and do things with other churches like we do with one hope and and several other right. churches, yeah. yeah. I think the temptation sometimes is to take quick action because mm-hmm. you feel like you need to do something and then you right. make the wrong mistake or you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And just, I think, leading with wisdom and try to think those things through. Yeah. I also think that one thing that is not as difficult is it's actually kind of rare we have to deal with this. So it's not like we have good practice at it. Right. You know, it doesn't happen very often. Thank the Lord. Thank, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but when it does, you're like, oh, what are we supposed to do? How are we going to handle this? And so it's good to often get outside help. And so in a couple of cases, I've actually asked other people for help mm. in in how they've handled situations. Sure. Yeah. Well, and like I said, it does kind of depend on the <laughs> severity of it. If they get caught in pornography, there's that's not like a huge thing. But if they're embezzling money, then you're getting law enforcement involved as well. <laughs> it could you be, know? yeah. You know, so or if it's child abuse. Or child abuse. That's or, a or, criminal action. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah. If it's, yeah, so there are, there are varying degrees. Uh, that doesn't mean that they can't be – they can't repent of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have – consequences right every action that we that we do has consequences good or bad and sometimes the consequences are much harsher based on the the sins that we commit so i think yeah and i think what's so personal for people uh they read about these in the newspaper or, or newspaper i'm so old uh I still social media yeah yeah and then uh but when it happens with somebody you know mm. it just it just crushes people sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think we just need to be aware of those in the future that when a leader falls or there's a misconduct issue to, as best you can, trust the leaders to handle that well. Yeah. And then to pray and not be a gossip, I guess, and Absolutely. try to be supportive yeah. of the situ- of, uh, of the church and of the person and as well. And I would also say this, especially for those that are just watching and they're not involved in a – or listening, not involved in a leadership position – Pray for your church leaders. They're they're human beings just like you, mm-hmm. and they're tempted just like everyone is. And pray that they'll be able to to say no to those temptations and to live above reproach. Because like it says in the book of James chapter 3, those that teach are held to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And so um, we want to be able to live up to that standard, uh, and we need God's help to do it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Hey, any last thoughts, Josh, about? Uh, no, I just, I I appreciate you asking me to come and be a part of this podcast. Okay, great. Hey, tough topic that we're talking about today. We've t- discussed about restoring fallen leaders and how difficult that is and what a challenge. And we want to be faithful to scripture and we want to show grace and compassion to people at the same time. And um, at that point, we have to show great discernment and wisdom as uh, people who are leading to do that well because we want to store people to usefulness. I, I really like your statement there. So That's not original to me, though. Well, a professor in college, I learned that very well from him. Okay, well, but Professor, professor Josh Dobler. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Hey, I'm Steve, and that's our podcast today, and grace and peace be with you. Thanks.